Hi, I'm Mia. I'm Alex. And we are the Leftist Podcast. Yes, this is the Leftist Podcast. So basically, we're here to just kind of share our perspective on the weekly news from a more leftist standpoint, kind of getting away from the usual, um, at most liberal, uh, capitalistic corporate media. We just kind of wanted to share our own perspective as broke college students because, uh, you know, our voices matter too. And I'm sure that we share a lot of the same values you guys do. So we hope you guys uh, find some benefit from listening to us. Or for our first episode, we're going to be talking about two topics. I uh, wanted to keep it light. So we're going to be discussing the Mar-a-Lago raid uh, that occurred, I think, last week now um, on the 11th or 12th um, that the FBI conducted. And then we're going to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act uh, that was passed last week as well, finally passed the Senate, and Joe Biden did sign it. So uh, first, I'm going to go into Mar-a-Lago. And I wanted to kind of just give you guys some background on the raid. I know that you guys have probably heard so many different news outlets discussing it, um, whether they're conservative or liberal. They really don't know what to say because they don't want to take the wrong stance on what the FBI has found or if this is an injustice or whatnot. Um, So basically, the FBI contacted a few uh, White House officials and they were like, you know, I think Trump has some of those documents uh, back at Mar-a-Lago. He never turned them back to the federal government, and they were never put in national archives. So you guys should look into that. So the Justice Department did just that. They reached out to Trump and his lawyers. Uh, They claimed that all confidential documents had been returned. When they found that to be untrue, probably, they subpoenaed subpoenaed Trump uh, to return any documents that were at Mar-a-Lago back to the federal government. Um, And then a few weeks before the raid occurred, uh, the Justice Department and the and two of Trump's lawyers met together, and Trump's lawyers, at least one of them, signed off on a sheet that said that all confidential documents had been returned, when that uh, obviously wasn't true because the FBI uncovered about 15 boxes of information, and at least some confidential information was in those in each one of those boxes. So, the implications of this being Trump's lawyers basically lying to the Justice Department and saying that there was no confidential documents, and they were just literally being kept at Mar-a-Lago, like, for anyone to see. Yeah, and at Mar-a-Lago, anyone in the right tax bracket can go there. They do weddings, galas, all these different sorts of events. Anyone can go there. And all of this classified information is just sitting in Donald Trump's bedroom, waiting for someone to come grab it. Yeah, it's really honestly... it's a national security emergency at this point when there's information uh, like this that pertains to either other nations or our nations. Like it could be, it could be literally anything. We don't really know what is in the confidential documents as how they're confidential, but it's obviously important to the safety of our nation. So we want that to be in the right hands, not just at a uh, country club, basically. (laughs) And the FBI actually went to conduct the raid because they subpoenaed the, video recordings of the room where the confidential records were being kept and found like a bunch of people had walked into that room uh, after a 60 day period. So they found it to be an unsafe place for these documents to be kept, whether they were declassified in Trump's head as they claim, or if they were confidential, it doesn't matter because they're still important documents. And we'll get into the implications of what it means if Trump held those documents right now. So Basically, the Justice Department can go about this in three ways if they want to um, try Donald Trump. 
in a court, I guess, for holding these documents. They could try him with obstruction of justice, uh, mishandling uh, confidential documents, or the Espionage Act. And the Espionage Act was something that was uh, put in place during the First World War. And basically, one part of it says that if you have any um, confidential documents regarding national security, whether or not they've been declassified, you could still be tried in violation for the Espionage Act. And, you know, you're just really not supposed to have them. That's the reason this Espionage Act was put in place in, uh, to begin with. Uh, whether or not all parts of it are great is up for debate. But this certain part kind of makes a lot of sense in the meaning that we don't want just any normal citizen, in this case, cl close to Donald Trump, being able to obtain this information. We want it kept in the National Archives when it pertains to our countries and other countries' national security. Yeah, and another big part of the Espionage Act is that it includes obstructing justice. Um, like, for example, with uh, Schneck versus the United States, he was a socialist spreading leaflets about the draft and how it infringed on our 13th Amendment rights. Um, so I think that's another big part of it. Yeah, a big part of how, you know, in one instance, this act might be a good thing and where we want to keep all confidential documents in one secured area so that not one person can just read it and like tell a bunch of people and that our national security is at risk. But also the fact that this is being used as a form of capitalist control in the sense that they were trying to get people to join the draft during the war, while obviously people did not want to join the draft. And it was in violation of our 13th Amendment, uh, the exact violation being involuntary servitude, I guess you could you could think about it like that. So yeah, kind of moving on to this, I want to really talk about what the implications of this means if there was no super incriminating evidence found at Mar-a-Lago. Like I said earlier, liberals and conservatives don't want to react in a certain way because they don't want there to either be no evidence on the liberal side or a lot of evidence, a lot of incriminating evidence on the conservative side. So initially you might've seen a lot of conservative outlets being outraged and calling this a um, day of like national disgrace. So yeah, a few uh, people close to Trump were actually telling uh, people who are outraged about this to kind of settle down on this um, outrage because we don't really know what was found at Mar-a-Lago and they don't want to be found to be contributing to this uh, national security crisis, as some might call it. And it could be, honestly, it could be found that, that this is a crisis in, in a sense. So another reason why the implications of this raid could be bad is that Trump could use it to campaign off of. You know, Trump was the, the one initially that spread the news that the FBI raided his home in Mar-a-Lago. They wanted to keep this kind of under control. They didn't want this huge outcry, but we know that Trump is very big on winning over people by kind of forming his own narrative. And this formed into his own narrative. Um, whether or not he thinks that this will be a big deal or not, I don't think he even knows because I don't think he really realizes the implication of keeping these documents. Um, he just found that in the best uh, that at that moment, this was the best way to go about this by spreading the word about the FBI kind of infringing on his rights and how if it happened to a, a past president, it could happen to anyone. When this really isn't true, the general public doesn't hold confidential documents and things like that. This really can only happen to someone who had a position of power and who just wants to kind of keep that power. Yeah, and I think it's really important to recognize how quickly his supporters and like other people in positions of power, like congressmen, senators, all these things, jump to his defense. Even in like Cincinnati, like people were attacking FBI agents. People have been like condemning the FBI and really going against the whole party of law and order thing that they've spent so long setting up. 
Uh, but I think it's really interesting that they're so quick to go against the FBI, all these kinds of things when they were preaching about, you know, Blue Lives Matter, like we need to respect, you know, the people that keep our country safe when it was people of a different hue, like, you know, starting all these things and not President Trump. Yeah. And kind of two things on that. You know, uh, a lot of people were saying that this uh, claim to defund the FBI was an attack on police, but an attack on the pencil pushers um, who kind of run the FBI and kind of are enforcing this work on other people claiming that the investigators were not at fault. It was the people who ordered the investigation. So they would be kind of pointing it at um, higher ups in the Justice Department. So Merrick Garland, for one, who was a Trump appointee, was the one that approved this raid and it was necessary for national security purposes and um that's kind of why all this is taking place you know the republican party is really finding themselves at odds with each other in the sense that you still have these super super huge pro-trump republicans you know finding people that go against them losing their primary battles like liz cheney in wyoming just Mm -hmm. conceded her primary battle she just lost to a trump candidate uh trump endorsed candidate in wyoming so we find that even though Trump isn't polling super well for the possible possibility of his 2024 presidential campaign, he is he still has so much national uh, skew and what he believes in how he can get people to think. You know, a lot of people who he's endorsing are doing very well in their primaries. And he still has this incredible power and this hold over our government. And if anything incriminating were to come out in this, you know, that might be lost, uh, even if he's not tried in a criminal Uh, or in a criminal proceeding, this could still kind of mess up his place that he holds in government and how important he is to a lot of uh, constituents of America. And um, the second point I had on that was that, you know, some Republicans are coming out against Trump. So you had his former vice president, Mike Pence, coming out saying that these um, claims to defund the FBI and this defamation of the FBI is not what, like you said previously, the party of law and order stands for. So I think that You know, it's really odd because Republicans really never have held any true values. They're just kind of reactionary uh, politicians. But in this sense, they're still trying to take claim of, you know, their their party foundation and that they're the party of law and order when that's obviously not true, which Trump is kind of showing that and his supporters are really showing that they don't really care about law and order. They only care about law and order when they are going against the people that they don't like. So that's kind of the whole ideology of the Republican Party. And Trump is kind of making that be known to the whole country, but maybe some establishment Republicans who don't want their whole party to be frauded out want that knowledge being public. Yeah, that's what I was... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go for it. Uh, That's what I was just going to say is that I feel like in recent like months and like over the past like year or two, like the Republican Party has been very, very split. Because there are people that want to go back to like the roots of the Republican Party, and then there's Trump's Republican Party, and there's there's been a, a bit of infighting with the Republicans, and I feel like a lot of supporters like don't really like where the Republican Party is going because there are like Republicans that don't support Trump, and they're just not sure what they're left with. Yeah, it, exactly that. They're just really kind of at odds with what they stand for. They found themselves standing for a person rather than um, an actual set of ideologies, kind of pushing for like a popularity contest. Like it's kind of akin to how a student council race would be in high school to what's happening, what happened with Trump, honestly, like for real, like it's like we're pushing up these people who we, who we love and aspire to be like plenty of people in America might not aspire to be Trump, but they aspire to be billionaires. They aspire to 
have like mm-hmm. national uh, a, a huge national presence, something like that. So, you know, we find this in pop culture all the time, and it's kind of found its way into the foundations of our government, and has really kind of derailed the whole process and kind of made a disgrace of it all. And like you said, some Republicans want to get away from that, but we see them losing their primary races. Like I said, what happened with Liz Cheney? So, there's really no telling what. Mm-hmm could be happening of the Republican Party. Personally, I think the Republican Party has always been uh, this sort of like ideological reactionary facet of our country, but I don't think that they've been so public about it as they are now. And I think some people are coming to see that like they did with Trump. And, you know, there's really no telling what's going to happen. You know, a good indication is the polling of Trump and how he would do in the Republican primary for a 2024 presidential campaign. And, you know, DeSantis is polling over him. But I mean, DeSantis is just another Trump era uh, lackey, basically. So does it really say anything about Trump himself or does it say anything about, you know, Trump lost? We don't want him to lose again. We want someone who shares almost his exact ideologies in that place who holds a lot of favor in uh, our country right now. So. Yeah. Um, I think we're set to move on to the next point, unless you want to say anything else. Yeah, no, I think it's time to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, what was originally Biden's Build Back Better package started off as a $2 trillion package, but was then negotiated down to a $700 billion package. Um, the three main points of the IRA are to reduce the deficit and lower inflation in America. Um, It also invests in domestic energy production and lowering pharmaceutical drug costs. Yeah, and I really want to hone in on the fact that this bill started at $2 trillion and was negotiated down over grueling months to $700 billion. And it's kind of like a facade of what we saw with the Build Back Better plan. So the Build Back Better plan was mainly rooted in uh, forming our infrastructure to green energy and stuff like that. But now we have people like Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema trying to uproot that. So I think um, I just kind of want to know more about that and what they kind of have done to mess up this whole process of taking so much funding out of what would go to the American people into helping better America and is now going into uh, different things. Yeah, so Joe Manchin, um, he was a big person in postponing uh, this bill being passed. Uh, he refused to vote yes on it in two different forms as the original Build Back Better. And then after it got negotiated a little more in July. Uh, but just in August, he finally agreed to vote yes uh, after the name was changed from Build Back Better to the Inflation Reduction Act because his main argument was that um, America's current focus needed to be on the economic standing and rising inflation in the country before trying to propose any bills on climate change. And I think a really important part of that is that, you know, when Joe Manchin talks a lot, he talks about a lot about helping his constituents and wants to frame things in the way of him helping his constituents in the best way possible. So in changing that name from Build Back Better to uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, it makes it seem like a whole new thing when in its essence, the bill is what was proposed initially. The number of the bill is the exact same. It's just changed its name. Kind of similar with how you when you use buzzwords like Obamacare, people get really frantic about it. But when you say Affordable Care Act, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I'm in favor of that. It's really helping me pay for my medical bills. Like it's it's the way we phrase things and the way we frame them that really shows how reactionary a lot of people in this country can be. Yes, exactly. And that also goes back to your point about Republicans being reactionary because both Biden's Build Back Better and Obama's uh, Obamacare are both big bills proposed by Democratic presidents. 
And when any of them hear that, even if they would benefit from the contents of the bill, they're against it. Exactly. Once they hear the phrase. So okay. another big player in the postponing of the Inflation Reduction Act was Kirsten Cinema, who refused to go along with uh, the package unless top Democrats agreed to drop the $14 billion tax increase for hedge fund owners and private executives, um, and to also change the structure of the 15% minimum tax on corporations, which is just essentially keeping the rich rich, which for Cinema uh, means keeping her donors happy so they continue to donate to her platform. Um, a lot of her donors are some of like the top equity firms in the United States, most of which aren't from Arizona, which is her state. Um, so we can assume that she negotiated with them to try and like keep the carried interest loophole in the bill uh, and keep her donations in turn. Cause we've seen this happen before uh, with cinema where some of her donors threatened to pull out and not continue to support her if she didn't vote in favor of the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Okay. And even though those two are great acts that Democrats wanted to pose, we could assume that these donors have the pull to get whatever they want out of senators. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, I don't like politics because everyone's corrupt, like all these corrupt politicians. And I hear a lot of this come from like conservatives or people who are pro-capitalist. But like when you really think about the nature of why politicians are corrupt, it comes from the capitalistic notion of trying to gain capital in your own favor. So using using your own power to build your own capital. So it's kind of funny how people who are such huge proponents of capitalism really always talk about all oh, this corruption and politics when it comes from the um, intertwinement of capitalism and our government, like, and how important it is to us. And it's seen in both of these cases, you know, with Manchin, um, he really didn't want green energy to be a thing because he holds a lot of stake in an oil company back in Virginia or West Virginia. And uh, he actually got to put on the bill where um, there would be more tillings for oil land and stuff like that. And then for cinema, uh, it's very clear that her donors did not want her to sign off on this private equity thing, even though the private equity thing has not been very favorable to many Americans since Obama, with Obama and Trump both trying to get rid of it and it not succeeding. And now with Biden, it not succeeding. So we really just kind of see how capitalism has a huge grip on our nation and people are blind to it. They just hear buzzwords like corrupt politicians and think, oh, they're just corrupt. But like, think about why they're corrupt. What uh, how our system of capitalism is benefiting them being corrupt and uh, other things of that nature. Exactly. Cause it really uh, makes you think like how many other senators have chosen to vote a certain way on an act, whether it be good or not, because their donors said that they needed to vote a certain way or else they would pull funding. Cause that's a huge thing is that you need the funding to stay afloat. And if they're going to pull it, then you don't really have any options. And I think that, uh, top private equity firms like that have really been benefiting from Kirsten Cinema because she's, you know, a known moderate, not always voting with the Democrats. And right now with a split 50-50 Senate, Democrats need every single member to vote with them. Yeah. And I think that, you know, they say that they don't have the votes. They just don't have the votes. We need every member. But and with, with uh, Manchin especially, you know, Democrats, uh, like Joe Biden and everyone is constantly talking about how we need as many votes as we can get, you know, but they're really not trying very hard to get these votes. You know, Manchin holds um, 
a chair on the uh, energy committee in the Senate, and I did not see that once threatened to be taken away from him when he would not vote on literally anything that would benefit this country um, and that Democrats were pushing. Um, it really just shows that he really had his own self-interest in mind and didn't really care about anything else that was going on that would even benefit his constituents, even though that's why he often claims that he doesn't vote a certain way because that would not benefit his constituents. But, you know, we saw West Virginia face so much struggle and Joe Manchin really do nothing about it. And I think um, like cinema, like you said, he's probably just doing it for his own capitalistic interest and just trying to better himself rather than better his constituents in his country. Exactly. Because with the position that Manchin and cinema are in, there's really no point for them to try and, you know, settle with these bills for what they are when they know that they can negotiate it down to what they really want, because they could just say, no, I won't vote for it and it won't pass. So Democrats yeah. really have to bend to the will of cinema and mansion. Yeah. And they hold so much sway. Just two people hold so much sway in the Senate. Like, you know, you hear all this stuff going on and you hear Nancy Pelosi and other people kind of being like in any way that you can, whether it's in a Senate race, gubernatorial race, uh, congressional race, vote for a Democrat because we need more votes. But, you know, why should I vote for more Democrats if you're not even going to try and push for them to vote a certain way? You're going to say you're going to sit back and let them do whatever they want. You're going to cater to their every need. You're going to try and get them to vote a certain way. And then they just say no. And you're like, OK. Like, that just shows me that the inaction, like, you're okay with the inaction, basically. You don't really yes. care about change being pushed. You just want to seem like everything is going great, and this is a great administration and stuff like that. And while it might be better than the previous one, you know, Joe Biden is still a pretty moderate Democrat. And I don't think that there's as much that needs getting done that needs to be getting done. Yeah, and that's been a really big problem with the Democratic Party, I think, is that they aren't acting on things that the, you know, the general Democrats would probably want them to act on. And then when that doesn't happen, they're just like, oh, make sure you vote, like also donate to my campaign, like with Roe v. Wade, like it could have been codified, like since it, you know, was first enacted 50 years ago, but we waited so long to codify it, even though Joe Biden said he was going to, and now it's gone. And now we're getting emails saying donate $15 so we can try and protect rights, but those rights are out the window. And honestly, a way that they, the reason they probably didn't codify it was because that was a way for them to campaign even previously when Roe v. Wade was still in place. So like, you need to vote for this specific Democrat in this specific district because they're going to vote to keep uh, Roe v. Wade in place if it does hit, if um, everything does go south and it gets, it ends up getting, uh, overturned by the uh, Supreme Court. And it did happen. And now they're just finding a new way to fundraise over it rather than kind of fear mongering over it actually happening. So I really honestly, I'm just kind of fed up with the way that it's heading. I don't think that they've taken any really clear stance. You know, you know, mm -hmm. most people, people will say they would rather a president who does a bunch of stuff that they disagree with than a president who does nothing at all. Yes. Uh, Americans hate inaction. Uh, they want to be. They want to see stuff getting done uh, when things need to get done. So if there's a problem like inflation, they want to see stuff getting done to combat inflation. And you know we're doing stuff like uh, raising interest rates and things like that, but people just don't see it as enough uh, being done. And I think that Democrats, if they want to keep winning, they need to really hone in on 
what they should do uh, when to get stuff done to make their constituents happy. Yes. Uh, So another big part of the Inflation Reduction Act is the efforts to uh, invest in more domestic energy production. Um, And when I was first looking into this, I was like wondering why, like, you know, big oil and big gas companies, there, there wasn't outrage from them. No one was upset that this bill got passed. Uh, and there's a lot of little like hidden hidden gems, little loopholes uh, for big gas and big oil to still profit from this. Five hundred million dollars is being allocated to expand biofuel infrastructure, and the Department of Interior now has to offer two million acres of onshore land to be up for leasing for oil and gas companies. Uh, And this means that these plants are most likely going to be put in low income areas and neighborhoods, um, continuing the cycle of environmental racism that we're already having such a large issue with now. While this package is a historic move in climate history, there's never been a package that's done this much good for climate change. Um, It prioritizes big oil and the production of fossil fuels over citizens' livelihoods. And that's going to show a lot over the next like you know, 10, 20 years when more people are getting cancer and all of these other ailments because they're living next to a giant oil company or factory and stuff like that. Like it's it's really clear that they're prioritizing fossil fuels and companies like this where they're getting a lot of their money from rather than their citizens' livelihood. Yeah. And I think that there's two other really big problems that come along with the reason why these little tiny nuggets, like you said, were put into place to benefit oil companies. The first being, you know, there's a ton of people that work in oil industries in our country, and they might be worried about losing their jobs. So I think that this was just kind of put in there to kind of keep them at ease. But even if it was the wrong way of doing so, um, it just kind of try to make them not worry about losing their livelihood so much. A better way for them to have gone about this was uh, pushing to kind of phase out oil and more towards a more green energy production. So in an essence, what they could have done is offered free job training to people working in the oil industry to move into uh, learning how to work in a green energy uh, way. So I think that that was the first instance of why that was included. And also it's kind of seen as a, uh, a guise to fight inflation, but you know, we see the price of crude oil continuously dropping from when oil was at its high. And gas prices haven't changed that much. Yeah, they're going down. But I mean, maybe like 50 or 60 cents only since uh, crude oil prices have been maintained at their normal status. So I think that this is another uh, instance of corporate greed. They're just giving you higher prices at the pump when they're paying the same amount uh, of gas that they were previously to this huge rise in uh, crude oil prices. And they're just benefiting and they're taking in massive, massive uh, profits uh, off of the guise of inflation, when they're the ones that should be uh, working towards ending inflation, the federal government should be imposing regulations on them, sterner regulations to kind of combat them from price gouging in this way. That's so obviously evident, but for some reason, no one's doing anything about it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you brought up about like, you know, free job training to be offered, because while they are creating all of this like infrastructure Uh, to create like greener energy, they're still keeping these big oil and gas companies there that are just going to continue to hurt the environment. And like, will those two things really balance out that much? Um, And I think, honestly, with this bill, even though it is huge, 
for climate history, I think it might be too little too late because as we're seeing, there are like record heat waves all across the world right now in Europe, in America, uh, Japan. It's, it, I just don't think it's going to be enough right now, especially with how much compromising has uh, taken place with big oil. That's exactly right. And I think that, you know, I'm really hopeful to see how the primaries go um, for this midterm election and the actual midterm election. Um, and I know with Joe Biden's low approval rating, it's not supposed to look hot for Democrats uh, coming up. But, you know, even as a leftist, I still think that the best way to push towards more uh, anti-capitalist movement is to get uh, more liberal minded people in office um, to kind of raise the question of, you know, we're trying to uh, strive for all this uh, justice, but, you know, there's one main facet of our society uh, keeping us from doing so, and that's capitalism. So I think that that would be the best action to do. I'm I'm honestly not for voting for the most likely to win candidate uh, for a primary. I think you should vote uh, for the candidate who uh, holds most of your own convictions. But once it comes to the election, I don't want to tell anyone how to vote or how they should vote, but really keep in mind that the best way to move this country and uh, more towards some left leftward movement is to um, get more people in power who hold who espouse uh, similar ideals. You know, they might still be very pro-capitalist and very pro-defense um, contracts or something like that. But, you know, they're still ultimately, you know, not trying to get rid of um, ample women's reproductive health and stuff like that. So I think it's really important to keep in mind when you are at the polls. And um, I'm really just interested interested to see what the administration is going to do after uh, the after election night on November 8th. Uh, hopefully they do more stuff. Hopefully they're not upheld by Republicans, but you know, only time will tell. Yeah. And I think uh, to go back to your previous point about, you know, voting Democrat to hopefully get more like left-leaning people into politics. I think we're going to see more of that recently because now Gen Z is able to run for uh, house of reps. Uh, Cause now they're finally, you know, turning 25. We're able to get these like you know, these loud voices into there and to hopefully make an actual difference instead of being filled with moderates. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think it's time that um, our generation's able to kind of voice our own opinion, um, even if they just want to cast us aside, even just getting uh, campaigns like that out there, just show that this movement is happening and that mm -hmm. any good, any political movement uh, towards the left is good political movement. In my um view of how our government works. So uh, I think that's really all we kind of wanted to talk about with you guys today. And I'm, I'm really glad that uh, you guys are tuning in. Hopefully you guys enjoy. Um, and if there's anything else you want us to talk about, uh, you can let us know. We do have a TikTok. So yeah. you can see some of our posts there. Uh, Mia, anything else you want to close with? Yeah, no, if there's any, any hot topics you want to hear us talk about, you know, just let us know. We'd be happy to do any of that yeah but yeah exactly. thank you for listening to our first episode i'm very excited to continue with this podcast and get my opinion out there all right well i think that's it so just to close off uh so you don't forget i'm alex and i'm mia and this has been the leftist podcast so we hope you have a good rest of your week until we see you to discuss next week's news 